Spider-Man, X-Men, the Fantastic Four, and the Avengers. Timeless characters whose stories were retold by new voices in the Ultimate Marvel Universe. Join us as we journey through My Ultimate Year. What did we do? I don't. I think we just you started we it. Like, welcome to my ultimate year. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that sounds we'll good. I mean, I, I don't think we do the like. I'm Dave. I'm Zach, the comic book newbie expert thing. Well, we should introduce ourselves, certainly. Yeah. 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 Sure. But I'm not the newbie here, Dave. You don't have to be. I'm How the comic book you expert. Read? You're the booby. No, I asked you this. <laughs> All right. We don't have to call names. <laughs> How much of this have you read? <laughs> what of ultimate? Yeah. Uh, probably like half of the whole run. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It'll be a couple, it'll be like a year before we're into stuff I haven't read. Like, I think I've read 120 issues of Spider-Man. I read till and I stopped right around where mm, but you I, were one of those. Yeah. I, no, it might, it was like, that was where it was in the, uh, like that was what was being published and that's what my library yeah. had. So I just stopped yeah. there and then I never came back to reading Ultimate. Sounds like a pretty intense protest. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, okay. All right, let's do this. Yep. Hello, and welcome to My Ultimate Year. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com, and I'm joined today by my co-host on My Marvelous Year. He has read nearly as much of the Ultimate Universe as I have. Um, actually, that's not totally true, but by way of saying he's read some of this, unlike My Marvelous Year, where we treat him like the newbie. How's it going, Zach? <laughs> that was a, a belabored point. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a long-winded, unclear point that I'm making. A- AKA, this is my 20 episodes year. from now, I will say I'm in new territory, because I've read quite a bit of this, but yeah, it's going yeah. to be It'll take us a, a minute. Yeah. Now we have, this is episode two, yes. and we are, unlike my marvelous year, we are not proceeding, you know, year by year through the Ultimate Universe. We are instead reading chunks of literally everything yes. in Marvel's Ultimate Universe. Yes. Now, I would recommend going on back to episode one. If you uh, have the the interest in pursuing the Ultimate Universe, it will give you some good background and history about how we got here and what this is. But in brief, the Ultimate Universe is a thing that launched uh, an imprint at Marvel in like the year 2000, and basically it was looking at what if we relaunched the Marvel Comics Universe for the 2000s. So last time we covered Ultimate Spider-Man, Marvel Team-Up, Daredevil, and Elektra, and today we're going to talk about Ultimate Elektra 1 through 5, Ultimate Iron Man 1s and 2s, number 1 through number 5, and Ultimate X-Men number 1 through 6. So some and very half. interesting comics. Some very weird comics. We ha- I'm gonna I'm gonna break them down here by saying we've got one super odd duck, one uh very like meaningful, important for the Ultimate Universe version uh story, and then one just very middle of the road. What are we doing here? So okay, Zach, so let me guess. Where can people find the comics? Iron how Man. Can play along? Iron Man's the important one. X Men is the kind of middle of the road, and Elektra is the odd duck. Yeah. Okay. I don't. I mean, that's. Just, it's not even a joke. The joke was 
I the, said, joke, I, the joke I is said so the, confusing. I said a lie <laughs> is the joke. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's as far right. as that uh, went. Uh, if you want to read, the entire Ultimate Marvel imprint is on um, Marvel Unlimited. So, you know, we recommend checking it out there. You can read like, it's like seven bucks a month. You can read the entire thing. I don't know. If you're here, you probably know how to find them. But <laughs> um, I meant more specifically the reading lists for my ultimate year that we are reading uh, alongside the club. Ah, so you can get access to the spreadsheet that has the entire My Marvelous Year and the My Ultimate Year reading lists on Patreon. Anyone who backs at five dollars mm-hmm. gets like access to that and then you can back off and you just you can kind of treat it as a one-time purchase if you'd like um you also if you back us at a dollar a month you'll get the weekly newsletter which will tell you like what the next episode's reading list is and if you don't want to give us any money you can just look in the show notes for next month's reading list so every every uh every episode's reading list for this episode and the next one is in the show notes uh also if you are listening to this on our public feed, there are six more episodes behind a paywall for you uh, because we released this um, six months staggered out on Patreon. So Patreon backers get access to six months of this before it goes public. So if you're listening to this publicly and you'd like to go back and check out more of the show uh, or go forward and check out more of the show, if you want more of the show, give us some money, please. Wow, that is endearing. That is, uh, <laughs> yeah, I am okay. a good salesman. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get into the Ultimate Universe yeah, comics please. that we read today. I'm just going to go in order of the list. Yes, please. Which is how I read them. Yes, please. First off, Ultimate Electra number one to number five. This is a pretty direct sequel following Ultimate Daredevil and Electra number one through number four. And I should mention here, we kind of talked about this in the first issue. This is not. The chrono. This is not the publication order that these issues came out in, right? So, Definitely not. Ultimate Spider-Man kicks things off with the first issue in the year 2000. Some of these comics we're going to be talking about today came out in actually in like the mid 2000s, but chronologically in Marvel Ultimate Universe time, they fit very early in the proceedings. Specifically, right? Iron so that's Man. That's what we've got Iron Man one and two come in like 2003 and 2005, something like that. Like these are much later, but. It's a good time as any to read them, because otherwise we're going to read some Iron Man as part of, like, the Ultimate Avengers, and then we jump back to this, which, like, it's more interesting reading it here. Well, it just, right. It fits better, and, and we'll yeah. talk about yeah, it a yeah. So bit everything we're going to read will make sense. The order that we, we're putting it in makes sense. We took a lot of care to, like, make sure that things are generally chronological uh, as far as the story goes, but might not be as far as publication days. Yeah, and if you don't believe us, go and just, like, double-check. Use a source, like, I don't know, comicbookherald.com's uh, Ultimate Universe Reading Order. See what, see how they Yeah, I've never heard it. of that one. Uh, comic Complete Marvel Reading Order is the uh, the one I use to write this whole list. So mm-hmm. I'm going to mm-hmm. make that. Well, we, own, we made that joke last episode. Too, so I'm going to do it again, on you. this one. Yeah, yeah, your jokes get funnier uh, the more you, the more oh, you say please, them. Oh, please, really? You're going <laughs> to you're gonna say that to me? Disaster, P-E-A-C-E. Yes. <laughs> That's a classic. All right. We're not doing that on Ultimate Year. Okay. We've got different musicians to thank. Let's talk about Ultimate Electra number one, written yeah. by Mike Carey, pencils by Salvador LaRocca, and covers. Oh boy, those covers by also Salvador LaRocca. Now we've got two really talented creators on this. Mike Carey <laughs> is a writer that I actually have come to really love. Um, he's done some uh, amazing work in my life. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's very personal love. No, no. He's written books. He's written a really fun and underrated X-Men run, which is shaping a 
decent amount of House of X, Powers of Tango. Oh, and God, you can't not talk and he has also written Lucifer. Yeah, Lucifer is what he's is, really famous uh, for. Um, yeah, that's probably the biggest one. Yeah, which is interesting. I've read a little Lucifer. I haven't dug into that too much. I just bought like the omnibus of that, which I'm excited to just get into. Just a little Lucifer. Just that was my favorite newspaper strip growing up, Little Lucifer. That sounds adorable. Those are really cute, yeah. Mike Carey and Salvatore LaRocca are like two great tastes that taste so-so together. <laughs> like, yeah, they are doing yeah. very... I, so we can get into all the details, but this is very like workmanlike. It is... It would be... If this was in mainstream Daredevil, if this was like, here's five issues of Daredevil in, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, 478 to 452, this would be... Totally fine if a little forgettable. Yeah. But the fact... Yeah, totally. The thing it reminds me the most of is actually like uh, Daredevil, The Man Without Fear, the work by Frank Miller and John Romita Jr. in, I'm going to say, 1993. The difference being, it's not that good. <laughs> like, it's very much early days Electra Daredevil story. Uh-huh. Like you said, it is very workmanlike. It's a direct sequel to Daredevil and Electra that we read previously. And it's just... It introduces... Some characters, you know, it, it brings a little more of that Marvel Universe flavor into this. Like, we get the Kingpin. We get Bullseye, right? We get some of that, but it's all just like, there. it's the most basic <laughs> Daredevil Well, the weird Electra thing about story. it is it kind of works under the assumption that you already care about all this, right? Like, there are... But this... if you already care about this, you've already seen this, and you've already seen it done better. Right, exactly. That's the weirdest part. Yeah, right, right, exactly. It gives me no particular reason, because Electra. I complained a little in the last episode about Ultimate Daredevil and Elektra, yeah. um, which I thought was good, but had its problems, and I kind of thought the characters were drawn a little broadly. Uh, and I got some flack for that, and I think actually deservedly so, that I was underrating that comic. Um, like, reflecting on that, I think I maybe was a little unfair in judging it by slightly more modern standards for not, like, having more mm-hmm. nuance. And reading this, I definitely should have com- should not have complained about it. Because, like, at least that comic was about something. Like, that comic was about yeah, something and it was right. trying to say something. This comic is not trying to say or do anything with its characters except that, like, Electra's character is, I want to protect my dad. And Daredevil's character is, I want to protect Electra. And that's it. Like, and there's no nothing interesting about that. There's no complexity to that. Like, they barely make hard choices. Like, it's, it's very, like, you know, her dad gets tied up in some crime that ends up being, uh like, tied in with Kingpin, and she just spends the time trying to, like, get him out of it. But it, like, immediately works on the assumption of, like, you will care that her dad is in trouble with the mob, and, like, you will, even though they give you no particular reason to, like, you know, they're just working under the thing of, like, yeah, you'll care about this family. You'll want Electra to get her dad out of this. Like, you'll be yeah. anguished for her, and it's like, you haven't given me anything to do that for it. Like, she doesn't have any personality. I don't know her at all. Like, even running well, off. we do we do kind of know here is the weird thing because we just read Ultimate Daredevil and Elektra one through four, and I I actually think that's probably the comic's biggest miss in a lot of ways is not doubling down on that story a little bit harder mm-hmm. because it's a direct sequel that I thought was pretty actually pretty well done. That one's written by Greg Rucka, um, but it kind of it simultaneously is a sequel, but it also pretends like that didn't happen to a degree. Yeah. Like there's the yeah. big ending of that with Elektra walking away from Daredevil. But then we come back to this one and it's like, but also she's living at home very nearby and not really. And she like, runs the into The ending him of that suggests Daredevil. like she's become Elektra. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. And they, like, they this, run into each other in ends... costume and it's very like, hey, what are you doing here? I'm just trying to help. Yeah. All right. Well, stay out of my it, way. And it like. It's too casual. Yeah. Yeah. You know, totally. given the way the previous uh, series ended. I, I would also call out this comic's called Ultimate Electra. It's a daredevil. St- it's really a daredevil comic. You know, it's a really because I don't. But like, I, I honestly don't even. I don't think it's really about Daredevil, but I barely think it's about Elektra either. It's kind of. Well, let just... me let me say it this way then: it's as much an Ultimate Daredevil and Elektra as the previous one was. Yes, you totally. Know? There's no reason to switch them. There's a bunch of weird little arbitrary choices. Like well, that. I think the like... reason is the Elektra movie was coming out. Yeah, be my maybe. Guess. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice? So this is something that uh, I think is just a modern touch, but it's one of the first times we've seen it, so it stuck out to me, which is that. Every scene change would have the date and location. So it would be like Bronx, May 22nd. And then it would be like Manhattan Courthouse, May 24th. Stuff like that. Yeah. I actually tried to pay attention because I was like, does this matter? Absolutely doesn't matter. It's just one of these weird like touches where they're just like, yeah, we want to give it an air of being grounded. But actually would have worked perfectly. It like it almost makes it feel like it's not being that confident because you can kind of just suggest the passage of time without explicitly saying it, and it wouldn't have been confusing at all. So it just felt like one of those. Well, and we're not we're not really on a clock here of like, oh, we have thirteen days. No, no, exactly. There's there's no real track. reason for it. It, it. This that is the tiniest of complaints, but I think it's an interesting like formal choice that is being made that is trying to like reflect something about. Um, like how modern comics are written, you know, it's trying to be sure. law and order. It's trying to be a gritty reality based comic. Even... It is a bit law and order. Yeah, you're right yeah. there. Because it... even the the dilemma, like even the the conversation, oh. is very like it's a mob comic in some ways. Sure. You know, like the yeah. whole MacGuffin throughout the entire thing is like this account ledger. Mat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. The ledger. It, yes, yes. It's just very like if you've watched any Law and Order or watched any mom movies or any of this, like it's it's a B plot within that, you know? Yep. Like it's just not that interesting stuff. And then it ladders up to, you know, the the mafiosos who are running the show or the gangsters, whatever you want to call them, um, are ultimately reporting into the Kingpin, who is not so happy about things. I the thing that disappoints me the most about this, the ultimate universe is an opportunity and a chance to experiment with the Marvel Universe in 2000s, and nothing about Ultimate Elektra is different than the Daredevil comics. Right, that's what I meant when I was like, you could just slot these five issues into a run of Daredevil. Yeah, and just be it like, would just be a not very good run within mainstream Earth six one six Daredevil. Yeah, it, would, it wouldn't 100%. be jarring at all. You could just be like a five issue flashback to the early days of Daredevil, and it would make perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. So we, I guess, like obviously we're not super into this. This is the one that I was describing is just very middle of the road. Like it's competent. It's fine. Yeah, I, we get I think the, the introduction. Good. Like the writing is not painful. It's it's not like the individual character writing. Although I, I do want to uh, point out, especially in contrast to the last thing, it's doing this thing where and I, we're going to see this so much in Marvel comics mm-hmm. and just 2000s era comics forward. I mean, actually we're seeing it in the 70s where we're at now but i think more and more where it's trying to clearly frame like here's our female superhero the bad guys what do they do they're sexist but they're bad guys right and they're clearly like the bad guys because they're being sexist but it's also like still having its little bit of fun with trying to have clever like sexist jokes you know like you just you can kind of sense that amount of like fun they're having trying to write something that's still something of a joke by being the character be sexist. So it's like a little of that, like having your cake and eating it too. Yeah. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I can see that it, too. It, it, I mean, there's definitely like, we are in the era for sure of 
honestly, specifically hypersexualizing Electra, who is a uh, throughout like since her debut is a is a sexualized character. Make no mistake. Yeah. But like the especially like the LaRocca covers, I think it's like one is like a big cleavage shot, and then three is the most egregious, where she's got like you know like the thong hanging out of her. I don't think she's got the thong type she, thing. She doesn't have a thong because I specifically remember it's just like the top quarter of her butt cheeks. Like it's trying to be sexy, I, but it kind of it kind of just the, looks the like underwear design her crack that's happening is there. Out. Yeah. <laughs> it's obviously meant to titillate and to to sell. Um, and this this happened to Tom with the lecture during this time period. So if that's something that you're going to find <laughs> less than savory, uh, I mean, I, know, I didn't find besides the covers, really I didn't find it. that part like particularly egregious in here. That I, I, I didn't. I don't think the interiors are. Yeah. I think the covers are. It's doing that that obnoxious Marvel thing that we talked about yeah. in our horrible review of Marvel, where it's just like, hey, here's a little softcore for oh, you. I don't, I don't uh, know if it's that. This? I don't know if it's that egregious. I, I actually kind of thought it was. Listen, going comparing for like, it to Marvel is harsh. <laughs> yeah, it kind of felt like it was going for these like romance novel covers. Like they're very like wistful romantic things where like Daredevil mm. is laying on his back and Elektra is laying there with his her head on his chest or you know or she's like keeping his head in her lap and like stroking his hair stuff like that like it's these very like romantic scenes that don't actually happen in the books i don't know no, I, right maybe i it's didn't definitely i didn't hate them the way you did but um, oh, I, I think hate is oh is yeah too okay far. Well, yeah uh there there's one moment i really liked that i wrote down that i thought was a genuinely like laugh out loud moment in the first issue which is that mm-hmm. electra is like following some criminals out of a building and she's up on the roof and they're driving away and she jumps off the roof and like bounds down the side of the building like flagpoles or oh, something. Yeah, yeah. And she hits an awning and then like it cuts to underneath the awning and it just goes like crunch as her feet like hit the awning. And then she kind of just jumps down and people are looking at her. She's like, oh, uh, sorry, I thought I thought I would bounce off of it and catch that flagpole, you know, yeah. uh, never mind. And then goes running off down the street embarrassed. And it's a really funny moment of like just acknowledging how silly that is that people she says literally like I thought it would bounce like a trampoline. That that is a good joke. Like that was that was the funny joke, yeah. definitely. Um I you know, I do think too like this comic doesn't by the end of the comic so obviously spoilers for all these stories yeah, we're going to be talking course, about. Yeah. Um by the end of these issues, Electra is like making a case for working as one of the Kingpin's assassins, which is always, you know, and hired help essentially. And she does this by beating up Bullseye after somewhat losing to him in a fight earlier. It doesn't explain much beyond, like we saw in the first issue, she's really into self-defense. She gets into fighting. She gets into sort of taking the law and, and matters into her own hands. But we don't really get any like, what? She like does she have special training? Like in Earth six one six, we get a lot of the reasons why Electra Nachos might be like a very gifted assassin who can hold her own with Daredevil. Uh-huh. I, I don't know that that really happens. At no, all she's she's just the immediately universe. like capable of. She's just really good hand to hand with Bullseye <laughs> and taking down like mafiosos. I mean, whatever. I I kind of just chalked that up to comic book logic. Like that kind of happens. Yeah, but comic book logic is like because a ninja taught her skills in this secret yeah. past. Yeah, yeah, the Ultimate Universe could explore that in weird ways, and it doesn't. So it doesn't explore I, anything. I, yeah. This one just has a lack of imagination. Honestly, yeah, like it is. Yeah, yeah. It is just the the Daredevil story you could tell if you just wanted to get one out there, uh, or excuse me, the Electra and Daredevil story. So, um, yeah, pretty passable for me. But again, and and like we'll see Daredevil bounce around. Uh, the Ultimate Spider-Man universe a little bit. I kind of like the way he gets characterized in that a bit more. I don't have a strong memory of Elektra's role from here. Yeah, I they don't remember. They kind of fall off the map. Yeah, I don't remember much Daredevil except in Spider-Man. 
So, yeah. And we just had a question from a reader, like, what franchises would you like to see get re-ultimified? And I, I think we talked about this even in the first episode a little, like, Daredevil and Elektra. Like, they get this early spurt of, you know, these these intros, and then they don't have series. They don't have ongoings Yeah. Um, throughout the Ultimate Universe. And they barely so, feel like rehashes, you know? So that's part of the problem. They feel like flashbacks, okay. not rehashes. Do you want to get into the big guns? Wait, wait, wait. Speaking of big guns, uh, Bullseye shows up here. He is underwhelming. I don't really need to get into him. He's he's fine. Like, I love Bullseye as a villain. He's one of my favorite villains, and he wasn't that interesting here. Immediately after telling you he's one of my favorite villains, I have to admit, I learned his name here, which I did not know. Wow, Which is yeah. Poindexter, which was incredible. Yeah, that's a big one. Like, I had to Google that. Like, is that really his name? Just laugh out loud funny. I love... Dexter Poindexter. I kind of... Wait, what? Dexter Poindexter. His name is Dexter Poindexter? If your last name's Poindexter, your first name's got to be... Okay, all right. Dexter, don't you think? <laughs> yeah. Uh, He's a... Uh... I actually kind of love that, though, because, like, it's the nerdiest name for, like, one of the scariest villains, and somehow that makes him even scarier that he just has this name, because it's like, who would laugh at that? Like, I get the right. idea. I Yeah, I kind of love that. Like, it, it almost, that kind yeah, of ridiculousness adds to his menace, because it's like, he can still be scary and have literally the name that is equated with dork. You got it. All right, next up on the Ultimate Universe list, we've got Back to Back Jacks written by Orson Scott Card, the writer of the Ender's Game series of novels. Uh, Ultimate Iron Man, we're going to do issues one through five, and then Ultimate Iron Man 2, number one through five. Let's talk first. You've read Ender's Game, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah, this is a This is a bit of a different one because Marvel is bringing in a, a Hugo Award-winning science fiction and, and fantasy author. This is not someone who has typically lived in the world of comics. I was actually reading a little bit before this about how they brought him in to do Iron Man, and he, I guess, pretty famously hates superhero comics. Really? <laughs> like, Interesting. Thinks they're really dumb, but he thought the the opportunity to tell this story of Iron Man apparently uh, worthy of his time. What is That's your <laughs> your background and familiarity with Orson Scott Card? Uh, I like the Ender's Game series. I read the first four books in that series, and uh, I think that's it. I think that's all I've read of him. Um, okay. And I like Ender's Game a lot. I like the follow-ups okay. And I think Orson Scott Card is a bad one. He's one of the bads, yeah. I'd say. Yeah, he stinks. He's pretty famously homophobic and yeah. it, uh, like, unrepentant And, and not in that, that way of like... Well, I mean, yes, and I don't know. It just he's a he's a mean homophobe. Yeah, I mean, he, in, <laughs> you know, in the year of our Lord twenty nineteen, he is ones. like we should we should put sodomy laws on the books. Like he is still digging his feet in the sand about that, uh, which is I think is so funny because Ender's Game is a very homoerotic novel. Like mm-hmm. there are mm-hmm. there are a lot of nude soapy boy fights in that. Like specifically, like boys all. Me thinks the lady doth protest too much. No, I don't. No, I don't. I don't necessarily ever buy into that idea. But I just think that's like, it's very weird. It just feels like a strange, uh, a strange dissonance there. Uh, I mean, because he's yeah. he's also a. Um, I mean, he's a very outspoken Mormon, I think, and I think that informs a lot of his writing and his like political views. Um, and we're gonna see sure. some of that here for sure. Uh. A little bit in Iron Man 1, quite a bit in Iron Man 2, which is a part of the reason I liked this first batch a lot more than the second one. So The first batch of stories? Yeah. Is what yeah, yeah. Ultimate Iron Man. Okay. Period. So the other piece of this, yeah, we, yeah. we kind of talked about these, these issues come out kind of like 
early to mid 2000s and and it got art by Andy Kubert on the first series and then I think it's Pascal Ferry comes in on the second yep. um they they're telling the origin of Ultimate Iron Man but boy oh boy <laughs> is this going to be a weird one to reconcile with Tony Stark as we're going to come to know him so if you're reading this along for the first time don't worry I'm not going to spoil things about Iron Man to come this will be like this I think will seem more confusing than not if I don't say anything now you know just to warn you that like this is a kind of a retroactive vision of an origin that the ultimate universe is at times just not even going to try to reconcile yeah with the way Tony Stark which is totally functions. fine because if I if I thought this was like well and we kind of saw this happen in ultimate marvel team up as well where those are clearly it's very early days in the universe and bendis and a, and a bunch of like really interesting artistic collaborators are just kind of throwing character ideas at the wall we see tony stark in iron man armor suit up there drawn by mike allred and he functions very much like earth 616 tony stark card and his collaborators kubert and fairy take entirely different approaches in these origins the only difference is they just don't really get picked up um, so if you're if you're super into these ideas, I, I guess I kind of have bad news for you. But let's talk about them because I, I think it'll elucidate what I'm saying when I say these are these are weird comics. This is a strange approach to a story about a man who invents an an armored suit of war to join the Avengers in Earth six one six. Right? Yeah, I think part of the reason I enjoyed this. <clears throat> I think part of the reason I enjoyed this as much as I did, at least the first batch, is because I kind of had in the back of my head that none of this matters. Like, it feel, felt like a weird little Elseworlds story. Yeah, right. Like, if I thought that this was the significant, solid foundation for lots... Like, if this was the same as the first yeah. few issues of Spider-Man, <laughs> right? Where right. it's just like, this is setting up the next 120 issues. I'd be like, what What are you doing? Why is this? Like, But it's not, and... Yeah, that that kind of helped me enjoy it because this felt like the first time I've read. I don't know if I've had this before where I've read a comic. It it felt like reading a comic version of The Room a little bit to me where like this is not meant to be enjoyed on the weird ironic level. I'm enjoying it like I'm enjoying this kind of in a so bad mm. it's good way. Mostly there's some stuff I genuinely yeah. like, but mostly all that I loved about it was just like this is weird and baffling and I'm just like enjoying you, like I think part of the what I like about uh, watching like so like really cheesy movies, which I generally don't like, I generally am not into so bad they're good movies. But okay. the ones that I do like are the ones that feel like they're being earnestly made, and then you are constantly surprised by what's happening because they're just like they don't follow a normal cohesive narrative or Venom storytelling. Yes, exactly. Venom is a good example of that. <laughs> where like I I mean I think that movie is a mess, but it's so strange and so like. Yeah. It just is like, yeah, he, uh, you know, he's eating a raw lobster sitting in an aquarium in a fancy French restaurant. And then literally 30 seconds later, he's getting a phone call from his girlfriend who was there is just like, hey, how you doing? We're worried about you. It's like he was just out of his mind. But they were, you yeah. know, kind of. But they're talking about it as if he, you know, just got dizzy in the restaurant. Like, yeah, it kind of has right. that going on. The art Ultimate Iron Man has some very laughable unintentionally hilarious scenes yeah it's also i think big picture i think these are both quite bad but they are intriguing yeah in their mistakes like iron man's because blue I, baby like 
I mean, it's just yeah. So Iron Man's blue baby. It's kind of <laughs> it's just this thing <laughs> that's, where that's like the first thing. Why did you give this to a person who clearly like doesn't really know anything about Iron Man enough to like subvert it or update it? You know, it's like Orson Scott yeah. Card is really just doing his own thing here, and like I'm kind of yeah, he really is. He really Here is. For He's it. telling so his like, own uh, little science fiction, I mean, barely superhero story. I I do think, you know, I talked with Elektra saying it's not ambitious enough. <laughs> Ultimate Iron Man, it says, hey, I got free reign to tell, uh, to retell this origin. I'm going to do it. And I do appreciate that idea. I just think it's, it doesn't work. Like, because there is also the thing with the Ultimate Universe that we talked about in the first episode of remaining true to the spirit of the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You know what? So Spider-Man, you can update him, but there's some truth that you're finding in the character. Yeah. This this version of Iron Man does not capture that. So the, the big thing that changes here, and we'll go into the details, but the big thing is that Iron Man is like, has this genetic, his brain is, uh, he's, he's genetically very smart and invulnerable. Right, and he has like a healing factor. That's the big change. We'll, we'll we'll definitely talk about all the details to that. But that's the kind of big thing, right? He can like get a yeah. limb blown off, and it will grow back. Uh, sure. And his brain is dispersed through his entire body. He's a brain. Yeah. Also, like his whole body is a brain. Yes. I. Jack, you know a thing or two about brains. Yes. All that How is the all science... that is true. Every one of us actually. <laughs> that he's basing that on a little known fact about all human bodies. So we're all brains. Yes. Is yes. that right? We're all just one big okay. brain. Okay. 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 So. Oh, there's a cool quote that I read once that was like... We're all brains. No, Albert Einstein. I'm not going to remember it. Something about... Albert Einstein. Okay. You know, the brain, it's just like it's just like we're all brains, man. That, that was right? the quote. How did you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm a big Einstein guy. Yeah. Uh, I think that in more capable hands, this could have been an intriguing idea. Yeah. Like, this could have been yeah. an intriguing idea that spun into, like, this is the ultimate Iron Man, because I don't think it's intrinsically like it's a little funny and you can laugh at it. But I think that in the right hands, you could have made this work and been like, oh, that's pretty. That's it's kind of cool, though. Right. Like and it's not it's definitely not. But like, <laughs> I, I think like it's, it makes it very, very different uh, in terms of how you view Tony Stark. I mean, the other which thing I think too, is fine. Like I, I like the idea that the ultimate universe would yeah, play in that space because yeah. it also doesn't like throw out. The important stuff about Tony Stark, like that he creates the Iron Man suit and that he is, you know, like has this personal relationship with the suit and he's kind of a a cocky jerk who, you know, likes his drink a little too much. Mm -hmm. Although, well, there's so there's there's really that is I guess that's a testament to the work is there's a lot to say about these. books. Okay, all right. Let's let's start the the drinking and I'm like, I have details to say about that. So let's back it up. Let's talk at the very beginning. Let's say, how do we actually get here? First off, the approach to telling this Ultimate Iron Man origin is to start before he's born. Yep. The first two issues lead to his birth. So, like, it's a Howard Stark story, first and foremost, which is actually kind of, like, that's become more important, I think, as Iron Man's become more important in both MCU and also, like, ongoing Marvel Comics. But, you know, we've read up to Demon in the Bottle now in our My Marvel this year journey in Earth 616. You don't get a ton of Howard Stark content. I don't point. know if we've you gotten I mean? any Howard Stark content. Not to my, I don't. Yeah. I don't know any. So it's Howard it's Stark amplifying things. his importance as the <clears throat> genius who owns Stark Enterprises that Tony Stark will one day inherit. Yep. Um. He is. He falls in love. He he with a a woman scientist. He also has like an ex wife who is plotting against him with Zebediah Stane, who's the villain of the story. Right. It's, and the stains are God, a carryover, stain, obviously, from the six. Stains are good. I if there's one thing I genuinely they are good, really. 
really like um uh caricature villains i think zebediah stain that's the older one yeah he's like yeah I, I think he actually draws him pretty well because like he looks he's got that like rich person style that is just like so aesthetically unpleasing because like you're so uh, obsessed with not looking like a normal person that you're like your, your clothes and your hair and the entire way you groom yourself just looks absurd and like and you... Andy Kubert and Danny Mickey dress him like uh, Grimace owned a plantation. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very that's, purple. That's and really good. Very southern fancy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Andy Kubert is doing his work here. I I didn't know he was going to be doing X Men later. His work here is not nearly as strong as. In X-Men, I'd say. But he's yeah, still like doing X-Men some more. pretty interesting stuff here. Um, okay. So yes. Yeah, he's got a he's got a fantastic legacy of art. I don't think this will be the work he you know they put in his, his obit. Yeah. But um so, but yeah, so Howard... Howard falls in love with this woman who yes. it, they're working on together sort of this um really it's like a blue spray paint that armors you up. Yep. So like yep, take yep. the Iron Man armor concept, but make it the blue man group, and you kind of get Howard's big idea, you know? Uh, there's more to it than I mean, that, it's, but... it's like paint that you put on your skin and then you can take like a knife like and it will, you know, uh, there's it's bacteria that will like eat the knife. It like eats metal. Yeah. So like eat the knife before it pierces your skin and it will uh, like absorb the shock and spread it through your whole body. If you get hit by like a cannonball, right? Like you can take these big yeah. hits. Uh, the thing is that it eats away the top layer of your skin after about 10 minutes. So you have to wash it off. That's like the big crux of it and then you get this scene where would you ever put this thing on knowing it would eat your skin if you couldn't wash it with soap like quickly yeah 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 no i think think those scenes are pretty effective though of like watching this guy put on blue paint i mean like he looks silly but it worked immediately it's a good visual marker that like something's going on yeah yeah totally i mean the science is absurd uh (laughs) bacteria that could never mind um the we do have to talk about how Tony gets his powers. Yes, no, I'm, ge- I'm uh, getting to that right now. So the, the wife... Because it's pretty fast. Howard Stark's wife is working on, like, regenerative virus. Well, they she- can't be married. They call... They call her his... He calls her his wife at one point, but he's still married to his ex-wife. So just a little detail there. Yeah, that doesn't I don't know. I don't, okay, I didn't know that. Um, I don't think that matters at all. The... <laughs> it's very important. Yeah, his wife... Uh, his wife's working with monkeys, and wh- while in the lab, she apparently didn't um, ever plan on a monkey, you know, like jumping at her while she's in her suit, because this monkey jumps at her. She falls down. Her helmet, her like space helmet, which is made of like she's wearing a Mysterio fishbowl apparently that is made, made of fragile, of sharp, fragile. Glass. Because fragile she falls glass. over, her helmet breaks and slices the monkey's arm off, and then like blood uh-huh. gets into her cuts and she gets infected. Oh, the monkey's arm f- blood falls into her mouth. Right, yeah, okay. It's gross. Yeah, yeah. So she gets infected with this virus. She's in incredible pain because this virus is regenerating tissue and because the brain has cells that do regenerate, which is true. There are mm-hmm. more and more areas of the brain that we're finding out every day that do regenerate and create new neurons. Um, yeah. It is like swelling her brain past the point, like it's swelling it inside of its skull, her skull, and it won't fit anymore. She is also pregnant with Tony Stark. Yes. And she gives this incredible monologue like a few days before she dies. She knows she's dying and she's like going to give birth to Tony and she's like the virus works differently on embryonic tissue. It will basically make him all brain. His yeah. entire body will be nerve tissue. His entire body. So every part of his body is brain tissue and 
he will be like in constant pain, which is something that just goes away. I feel like they uh, they talk about like his skin uh, will be they, burning. They kind of work at it, but initially, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's very. Yeah, true. it feels like it's going to yeah. be a big thing, and then it isn't. Yeah, no, that's right. That is that is what she says is going to happen, and she does ultimately <laughs> succumb to the, to the death of you know constant brain expansion. And uh, Antonia is born screaming a healthy, in pain. If uh, if in a healthy scr- brain, like, and that this this scene's actually this one kind of hit me because as as kind of goofy as this comic can be, yeah. They describe the baby as like he's not crying, he's screaming again because of this nerve ending thing, and that's a really horrifying idea. Sure, yeah, I'm <laughs> sure as a parent, baby that's like a scary in idea. such tremendous pain. Yeah. Now, what Howard Stark does <laughs> to dip, to mitigate dip this, that baby in blue, which is like what's that? Dip the baby in blue. He dips him in. So Howard bursts into the room where the baby's just been born. He just had his company stolen, but whatever. Um, he runs in. He <laughs> start spray painting spraying uh, little Tony with his blue liquid goo which is what is going to keep him from feeling the pain of dust particles and whatever, whatever else the air that would come in contact with his skin the I would say the hospital staff here is not as quick to react as you might they're like they're kind of like uh, uh, they, oh you can't you can't come in here and do that and he's just like yeah. what are you gonna do sue me and then he's just like I'm spraying my baby with this paint I've been in I've been in delivery rooms now, Zach, and I gotta tell you, if anyone ever ran into a room, grabbed a baby, and started spraying them with blue spray paint, it would not go as smoothly as Howard's escape. I kind of feel here. like you know he runs out that, with Tony and he's a, fine. That's such a deliberate and weird thing to do. I would be like, oh, they know what they're doing. They wouldn't just surely right. Yeah. Surely this man has very clear scientific. Oh, hey, intent. you know what? Just a little little side note. I'm just like glancing around my room here. And I have a little stack of comics that I've been uh, meaning to ship out to some people. But I have mm-hmm. the unwritten trade paperbacks, one through five. Yeah, that's Mike. Yeah, written by Mike Carey. No idea. Have you read those? Yeah, I don't like them very much. I'm looking to get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't hate I them. They just they before. didn't they didn't really land for me. But uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I just I had no idea. I was just like, oh, hey, I know that. Na-. I I actually did a double take. I was like Mike Carey, and then I looked back at my notes and I was like Mike Car- Mike Carey. <laughs> That's the guy. Yeah, so new. so that's the beginning. You know, this of is Ultimate how things were. I would say Wikipedia that is the most Dave. interesting part. You know, people just had to make connections, just looking around their room. They didn't have their smartphones to look things up and to always give them information. They had to work for that knowledge. Yeah, tell me about it, Grandpa. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, except that this whole thing is a farce podcast. You're going uphill <laughs> both way wherever you're going. I'll tell you that. Uh, are, is there anything else interesting? In the rest of this Iron Man saga, because those are the details that so, I was yeah, yeah. most there's, there's interested a few in. things. Howard Stark enrolls, so Tony Stark grows up. He's too smart for the world. You know, he's like an incredible boy genius. He enrolls. If him. you thought Baby Iron Man was good, boy, are you gonna love Teenage Iron Man and Boarding School Iron Man? Yeah, he brings him to a boarding school that's at the Baxter Building, which I think we're actually gonna see. That is interesting. Again, in the Fantastic Four. I mean, right. I, that might have already come in the Fantastic Four. Now he's playing with it, or I wonder if it happened the other way around. I don't know. Um, because Mole Man is here, but isn't like a, a villain. Mole Man is just one of the professors here, which is great. Uh, you know, that's an interesting detail because that actually plays right into is a part of Ultimate Fantastic. Four. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So that which that is a fun. In, uh, that must have a couple Ultimate Fantastic Four must have already happened because like it must have been released. Yeah, Orson Scott Card doesn't yeah. care about Mole Man. Um, I think the interesting thing here is Zebediah Stain. No, Obadiah Stain, which is Zebediah Stain's son. What name do you like better, Zebediah or Obadiah? Obadiah, by a long shot. Yeah, Obadiah sure. Stane is like a very good villain, unironically, I think. Like, not in a 
I think he's silly and fun. I think he's an actually good villain here. And I like kind of wished he was going to become a like a mainstream player. So I really liked him. What like, do you mean a mainstream player? Well, like I wish he was going to be like around to be like a little like it, like an Ultimates villain or whatever. I don't know. Is he a thing in or the whatever? Define that. What are, you, are you talking about the MCU? Are you talking about Earth Six One Six? Is that like, Jeff Bridges? Your... Yeah. No, oh, I didn't know that. Well, okay, he's but no, first, I guess he's I, the main. I, he's the main villain yeah, yeah, of, the, I guess, of the Iron I guess Man One. I didn't. I didn't put that together. Um, I've never read him in the comics. I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. He'll be a coming. Yeah, He'll yeah. Uh, no, I like this version because he's this weird, chubby little like creep. He's this like simpering little coward. Mm-hmm. who's also just so manipulative in like the creepiest way like so we kind of introduce him he's out on the ledge holding a little girl by the hand like as she's like dangling over the side of the building and he's trying to convince yeah. another kid he's like you can fly i know you can fly like you just need to prove it to yourself you need to do this or i'm gonna drop her you need to jump and fly and i'm just trying to like help you unleash your potential whatever and eventually this kid like tearfully leaps off the side of the building and then he drops the little girl and he just like double murders two little kids and then the authorities the the adults run out and he just says like i tried to stop them and like gives this sad sob story messed up it's really effective i think like that is one of the more yeah. like, oh my god! Like, and he gets away with the scot free. Like, people kind of know, like Tony Stark and Howard Stark know that he did this, but they can't prove it whatsoever. And he yeah. kind of just repeats doing that kind of thing over and over again, like setting up situations where he gets away scot free and always just being one step ahead, while also just being like the sleaziest little slime ball. I really liked him. I liked um. He kind of remind- reminded me of Grant Morrison's Lex Luthor in the New Fifty Two action comics hmm. you remember him just because it was like he's this i mean he's not this like bold imposing figure he's this uh kind of like i don't know sketchy little chubby guy it's not a with physical it. specimen or anything you know, have you read deadly class he reminds me of no, um, uh-uh. of one of the major characters in that yeah i really i really liked him he was the like the only part of the second batch of these comics that i liked anyway um he meets Rhodey here. He becomes friends with Rhodey. All the racial politics in these comics stink. Uh, it's this whole thing where, uh, you know, it, it's this like, I, I've seen this a million times. It's this really boring point that boring white people make where it's just like the way that you can make friends with black people is if you like tell them, you know, all the stereotypes, you know, like you rub the stereotypes in their face and you're like, and you'll win their respect what? by being bold enough to like. Well, he, like, t- Rhodey is, like, angry at him. <laughs> I'm just very confused what you're talking about. So Tony Stark and Rhodey have this, like, really hostile relationship at, at first because Tony Stark, like, yeah. Rhodey's getting beat up by a bunch of, like, prep frat boys. Uh-huh. And Tony Stark rescues him. And then Rhodey is mad at him because he's, like, it's going to be worse for me now as the, like, minority kid. Like, I'm the only black kid here. They call me the quota. Blah, blah, blah. And Tony Stark finally wins him mm-hmm. over by, like, I don't know. Rhodey goes to a KFC. And he's like, yeah, you reckon I think I like fried chicken just because I'm black? And Tony's like, I didn't know black people use reckon. I bet you like watermelon and grape soda, too. And then, like, Rhodey looks at him angry for a second and then, like, cracks up and starts smiling and they become friends. And it's just that, like, that is, like, such a white dude. Mm. Like, I'm colorblind. And, like, the way I'm friends with black people is I'm just bold enough to use the stereotype like it's that kind of thing of like mm. all we need to yeah. do is just acknowledge that there's stereotypes like yeah i it is it is I, it, it's definitely a type of 
like not uh, what's the word a type of racism it's not, that it's is not trying sensitive. to be not racist or not trying to be it thinks it's not racist and it is just incredibly racist sure <laughs> like sure yeah okay yeah it just does that kind of thing of like yeah if it's just a joke it's fine that like it's just reinforcing all that kind of idea mm, because it doesn't really okay. matter if you don't mean it anyway it it's after this it gets better or better it gets fine i don't know um let's see is there anything the detail that that I thought it was kind of interesting was you mentioned before, Tony, you know, you kind of get this buildup of as he becomes a teenager, like he kind of starts developing a little, you know, like, ooh, alcohol, like, you know, yeah, he's yeah, going to yeah. abuse it type yeah. thing, which obviously is a, a reference to, you know, Tony's alcoholism in Earth 616, except there's a really key difference here. So we just read Demon in the Bottle in the My Marvelous Year Club, and I think I was quite taken aback uh, by the fact that I think this is quite a bit better than I remember even, and I know I liked it. So I was like, this is really quite well done for 1979 comics, um, or just Marvel stories in general. But in this version, Tony's alcoholism is to, like, dull the never-ending pain he's in, and boy, is that a different sort or of like use. Or, like, slow his mind, yeah. yeah. You know, it's just like when you do it in the context of Earth-616, kind of high-powered executive, just living life, and and really a more human, relatable, I would say, addiction, versus I'm a, I'm a living brain, and I need this to, <laughs> yeah. like, dull well, things. It's like, it's just a, it's not, it's not apples to apples at all, and it, it dampens it. It doesn't make it interesting. Yeah, these comics aren't actually interested in either. It's like, two-thirds of no. the, when it comes up, it's a joke, you know? It's almost like, fan service in a weird way. Yeah. yeah kind of like Iron Man 2 where they're like, oh, he's drunk, and it's like it's like fan service because that's a thing we know about Tony Stark. Yeah, that's a but good But it's like, it's not a fun thing, it. you know? Yeah, for sure. Because yeah. there's there's a thing later where it's like, Tony, I'm worried about your drinking. His his assistant, Macy, I think. Um, uh-huh. And uh, and he's like, well, I quit drinking. And she's like, I found the flasking room and destroyed it. And he's like, exactly, I just quit drinking. Like... It's, that's a solid joke yeah uh i mean it, it's a uh it's just a rodney dangerfield joke <laughs> <laughs> uh, i mean you know what is interesting is that we get these first five issues absolutely the least interesting part about it is iron man like the the, yeah. the actual suit the suit is barely a presence here because so, by the end of it yeah he i would say these like are a, a, a jaeger right like he hasn't built iron man suit he's built like <laughs> yeah appropriate yeah. for the character I, I these are definitely they are oh, fairly wild iron man costumes or excuse me they're fairly wild tony stark stories they are atrociously bad iron oh man yeah the stories. iron man stuff is so i mean in the next comic it's going to really get into like the politics of the the robot the government wanting to get a hold of the suit blah 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 it is nothing it's totally boring yeah yeah it's kind of like it's kind of like a armor wars style story where again yeah like you get into this idea of like well you built this weapon other people are going to want that except everything about this that was interesting was based on everything but the suit yeah sure (laughs) and then also when they get into the hard sell to introduce it the politics of creating this weapon of mass destruction there's actually nothing to it right because it never gets questioned that maybe it's a bad thing that he has access to this you know like they they maybe wink a little bit at like one man has all this power and but not really. You know, they don't really care about that. And it's not actually talking about that, which is like, well, Kanye hadn't released power oh, yet. God, so I knew I like no knew it. I knew you would not power. be able to resist. What? I'm predictable. I mean, you're saying with that. Yes. No, I literally like, as it was coming out of my mouth, I was like hearing you hum it. Like I knew you were going <laughs> to. 
All right, so I think we can yep. jump into So you know what the craziest thing about Ultimate Iron Man 2 is as well? Uh, that the they came back for more. <laughs> well, yes, but like they came back. That is wild. I'm really surprised that there was demand or or just they had this card connection and they were like, well, we got this author and he's a big deal. We better bring him back. Like there's just no need for a second series of Especially this. Especially like, in why did, why did Orson Scott card come back? Like did he feel like this was a story he wanted to tell? Of like, yeah, it, does, it doesn't seem like he's into it either. It, yeah, exactly. Right? It feels it feels very treading water. Like it's not that. This issue came out in two thousand seven. That's yeah. insane. Yeah, yeah. That's so deep into like the Ultimates existing and a version of of Tony Stark existing that is not this character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this you know? is, this is Orson Real Scott strange. Card and Pascal Ferry uh, with Dean White coloring because I really like the coloring. I just wanted to note that I love Dean White's coloring. Yeah, he is a fantastic color. Sometimes he does really cool stuff with like very flat coloring he doesn't do any shading and then other times he does a very um a very like soft uh i don't know what the word is like a soft organic look to his coloring that i really liked mm-hmm. um he drove whiplash in a cool way whiplash is a nothing of a character here but whiplash was wearing yeah. this white trench coat and it was kind of like he was so luminescent you couldn't like see anything he was just pure white in his trench coat which was neat um yeah. the dialogue is atrocious here and it's just it's starting to get bad and not in a fun interesting way because nothing interesting is happening here it's a whole story about the government wanting to get the suit to help them take out like unnamed suicide bombers from an unnamed country for unknown political reasons and then there's a nuke and it's like a guy named dolores and then there's a murder yeah, let's frame. hang on let's hang on that for a second who is the Dolor- guy named dolores who is dolores is this a <laughs> I, I was like is this a marvel like a mainline Marvel guy that I don't know. I don't think he's well. In this, he's Obadiah Stane's henchman, effectively. Um, but uh, I don't think he's based then, on anyone. Oh, okay, I, I figured he was because he was such a weird. There's also a doctor in this named Boney, and I'm pretty confident he's not based on. Oh, oh, either. Boney. I mean, that's a that's an Orson Scott card mainstay. He he includes Boney. Yeah, Boney is in every one of his books. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the Orson shared card verse. You got that out. <laughs> can we hey hang on let me clap and delete that so people don't know how bad the jokes can make are <laughs> so Gets here, out of the, bag. the the um the beginning of this was that just a second let me let me remember this okay so the the end of the first miniseries was like a fairy loaded up with bombs was headed towards the stark tower and then tony stark mm. tony stark stopped it with his robot and then he's talking to his assistant in the second one and he's like we found a business card for this you know this businessman, um, he's an environmentalist. He's a big businessman, but he's an environmentalist. He builds windmills in third world countries. And it's like, it feels like Orson Scott is grinding an axe, but it's just like an axe that no one else has ever seen before. <laughs> like, is this the windmill axe? Yeah. yeah. Is, are, are you mad? Is at... this the anti-windmill agenda? But the thing is, like, he's not railing against... You ever get up close to one of those things? Green. Oh, the windmill agenda? They're enormous. It's the, it's the, that, that <laughs> the is, agenda comes that's second. That's some real, like, C-tier windmill. Robert Ludlum novel is the windmill agenda the windmill agenda yeah (laughs) but then like it you know it's like there's a businessman but he's you know he's like one of these bleeding heart liberals who just does windmills or something there's a line here uh where his assistant goes let me guess 
Those windmills are cover for an evil criminal enterprise. And Tony Stark goes, how'd you know? And then the next scene, it immediately cuts to him, like, flying out to take down this windmill enterprise. And that's it. There's, like, no (laughs) subtext to it. There's nothing else going on. It just was literally, like, here's a page describing that, like, the evil businessman builds windmills in Slovenia. No, if you ever drive through Iowa and you see, like, the big flatbed trucks with these giant windmills, they have to carry them one at a time because they're so big. Yeah, yeah. uh, They're cool. The spinny things. Uh, They're full of drugs. And <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, like, Iron Man and Rhodey in War Machine suit, though I don't think it ever gets said, get, like, co-opted by the government to go wipe out a bunch of terrorists. And they just are like, yeah, okay. I mean, we're going to, you know, we're going to be in the suit unknown to everybody else. But mm-hmm. also, like, we will just go kill the brown people because you said so. Like, it literally, there's nothing to it except, like, those people are suicide bombers. Kill everyone you see. And they're like, okay. We're going to find out what's going you know, on. It's actually, it, yeah, it's all a little bit, you would think it came out closer to 9-11, although <laughs> yeah, certainly 2007's sure. not oh, well, I mean, far I, removed. I bet Orson Scott Card is still, like, very much fretting about this. Yeah, you know, it actually reminds me a bit of um of the way people talk about Frank Miller's Holy Terror. Yes. Yeah, yeah, in terms yeah, of, yeah. like, uh, just that that sort of, allows, is post-9-11 Islamophobia. Yeah. It's, um, it's not. One of comics to, to in a way fair, that is just, like, it is it's not, just not even specific. It is not quite as bad as holy terror <laughs> oh no 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 i but no I it's actually a, don't it's think it is but i thing. but i know what you're saying it's the same kind of thing well like I, I mean it does this thing where like he's wiping out all these terrorists and then like a little boy's there <gasps> but he's got a suicide vest but he didn't want to put it on and then they're like rescue his dad but who's his dad is his dad the terrorist or not and then they rescue the dad and Tony Stark is like, the guy's like, thanks for rescuing my son. And Tony Stark's like, I don't kill children, unlike your friends over here. And he's like, mm-hmm. who would you rather have, like, deal with them or me, the great Satan? You know, like this whole thing of like, hmm, how naive you are for thinking that we Americans are the great Satan. You know, it's this whole, like, Fox News fueled idea of like, every person over there hates us and wants us dead and just thinks we're all, you know, it's this like insane sure. fairy tale that everyone's telling but then that it also is not the point like it moves on quickly from this and turns into like through three issues that's not really what this story's about which i do it's think like really there is a anything. there is a nuanced like very challenging story to tell there i it's all kind of like pre-accident tony stark too which is you know in, in 616 like his at his explosion abroad is what gets shrapnel in his heart and what gives him a change of heart, you know, obviously like metaphorically. In this, he don't he doesn't really have that, you know, because he's just born yeah, with this yeah, yeah. genetic makeup that is completely different and like he's like kind of invulnerable yeah, seeming because he can regenerate limbs. Yeah, he gets like, his a very arms different and legs character. blown off multiple times here. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I'm saying like his him going abroad as pre-accident Tony Stark is like that version of him is supposed to be unlikable. So there's kind of an interesting story there of like that character would behave somewhat similarly, but then what is the, oh, and then this happens and he changes and we never get that. Oh yeah, no, that's interesting because you know what? If you think about it, he doesn't really get an origin here, right? Like he's just born and that's the origin He's just story. born like super, I guess. And we never get right? that. Like, he's, he's, more of a, he's more of a mutant. He would fit more in the world yeah, of Yeah, totally, totally. Than he does in the world of Iron Man yeah. uh, in some ways. Um... Let's see what... Okay, so through a series of machinations, turns out the person behind all of this is Howard Stark's ex-wife, Lori, I think is her name? Lori or Lonnie? It's Lonnie. 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 Who is just the most like, 
I'm an oversexed woman who wants power just like the men and like like they I'm go gonna, I'm gonna cut out that line and use that as my new ringtone for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm excited about that yes please she like they go they show up at her base like she's clearly organized this like she's got this you know huge operation full of like mercenaries she's got these like military guys here and she's running all this stuff from the secret base in like leather pants in a crop top you know like with her yeah, cle- sure. a ton of cleavage well, you want to be comfortable like it's just insane and then like i don't know it i i'd have a hard time explaining you don't need you don't need to summarize it yeah anymore. yeah i mean well also it but ends. then roadie's girlfriend the just gets shot in the head for no reason except just like I actually have literally no idea why they decided to, like, kill her at the end. It felt, like, totally just, like, well, someone's got to die. Might as well be, like, the innocent black girl at the center of this, like, who's been around for the whole thing. I don't really get Yeah, I think it's like you said, whereas one, the first version, you can kind of be like, this is kind of, this is, like, it's not good, but, man, it's, like, kind of interesting to the point that it's, you know, you can kind of, like, not hate read it even, but just, like, I, no, I, I read it and revel in some of the weirdness. Because I thought it was, like, so weird and fun. This one yeah, got bogged right. down. In this like, one you can't really revel in the weirdness you, Oh, you know what this reminded me of? I, I don't know if you have seen many of these, but, like, modern Christian filmmaking. Okay. Like, uh, I don't know, like, God is Not Dead or uh, what's the other one? seven wonders something like that about like a bunch of muslims about like behind usher- yeah something like that where it's just like a weird series of coincidences and stories that don't matter and they're making a point that if you're not like in this world maybe you have no idea what they're talking about because like you're like well this means something to someone <laughs> but it doesn't mean anything like if to you me. didn't grow up christian going to church type thing maybe, like right like if you are not well versed like the in these synapses prophecies don't even connect right like you yeah. are baffled yeah. by what you're watching because it kind of i mean besides that i think it literally has some crossover with its views on muslims and women and etc like there's just so many yeah. weird little moments where you feel like orson scott card is like i said like grinding a very strange axe here like we get a cutaway of two guards and they're in the middle of a conversation just like faceless guards we've never really seen them before and one of them is like something like yeah i've had to sleep thanks for letting me sleep on your couch ever since my wife walked in on me in the kitchen and he's like yeah you didn't even lock the door and he's like yep friends are all i got now it's just like implying that a man cheated on his wife and his wife caught him and he's sleeping on his friend's couch and, and that's it. Like, it's just a weird scene happen. where you get to see this little glimpse of that and it's just like Orson Scott Card is making a point here, but I don't know what it is. Uh, okay, so at the end... Hang on, hang on. I just Googled Orson Scott Card windmills. <laughs> no, and, uh, please. There's uh, There's an essay from 2008, <gasps> which is one oh, year after... After this, and it's about the Obama agenda. Oh God, yeah, exactly. And it's there's genuinely moments in here where he is grinding this axe against windmills. I mean, I, um, that's what and, I got. I really I, like. I, I legitimately uh, got that in he general. was. You know, I mean, it's that kind of. Gl- this is a real. This is very. This is a a view that he seems to take quite seriously. I mean, I remember that with like Glenn Beck. I remember literally seeing Glenn Beck saying like, "If I find out that anyone on my crew is recycling." They get fired. <laughs> and it's just that kind of like strange, weird hostility towards like yeah. anything that might be labeled liberal. <laughs> can I can I read you this sentence? Please. Yes, you can build windmill farms, dash dash, but you can't put them anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Having driven by many a windmill farm. I can't. Because the thing is, certain. like, it's not coherent not when he brings it up because he talks about these windmills being 
built in third world countries, which is like, well, what's that about? I don't, what does that mean? Like, yeah, sure. Okay. okay. Anyway, no, no, wait. So I've, I've I, had I enough wanna, Ultimate Iron Man. No, I know. I, there's just one line I want to read, which is uh, at the very, camp. Okay, at sure. the very end, the last scene, which you feels totally rushed and like the, the comic just ends and it's just done and nothing feels wrapped up. It's so funny. Uh-huh. Is uh, Howard Stark is like, oh, it couldn't be Lonnie. She she absolutely is not the person who could have done this. Like she's too stupid. <laughs> and <laughs> and Tony Stark is like, you know, she took half your fortune. And he goes, "Come on, Dad, I'm a teenager still. I shouldn't have to tell you. Big boobs don't always mean no brain." And then uh, and Howard Stark goes, "Not a chance. It's her." And how? Ha- and then Tony says, "She's the only one that fits." I think we've got to kill her, Dad, because if we don't, one of these days she's going to kill us. And then that's it. It's decided now that they're going to go kill her. Like, that is the conversation that leads them into, like, it's definitely her. Like, he just goes yeah. from, like, no, it's definitely not her to, like, sorry, we got to kill her, Dad. Sorry you like her boobs too much. But, <laughs> like, it's just absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's not the best. You know what is a lot more interesting? Yeah. And I'm going to be more positive about <laughs> Oh, you because we've talked about two comics that I'm not particularly interested in, and and are definitely like two of the less relevant. Oh, ones let's let's in just the say Ultimate Universe. Experience. Yeah, let's just say here that there's not a lot of this in the Ultimate Universe. There's not a lot of these like weird little spinoff things. Yeah, you're right. Throughout, so like I'm looking at the next few years. Um, or it the next starts few to episodes. get very relevant very quickly. We're gonna have Spider-Man, X-Men, Fantastic Four, and Ultimates, which is their version of Avengers, and then like in the next. Five episode four is going to be yeah USM UXM and Ultimates all in one app like, like that's going to be a good there's one. very little that's not mainline series or that's tied in we've got some more Marvel team ups to read next episode and then like it's a good long while before you read something that's just like some weird little superfluous one off thing yeah no it is it's a fair point because like there it's we're still in that finding your footing kind of experimenting thing even though obviously we're reading out a publication order but it is like. I guess it's kind of a weird way to start, but it is like chronologically, there are some really odd ducks in terms of how they imagine this starting, but this gets course corrected fairly quickly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the ways that it does so in, you know, a, a pretty interesting story is uh, Ultimate X-Men number one to number six. This is written by Mark Millar with art again by Andy Kubert and Ultimate X-Men is pretty fascinating because yeah. Ultimate Spider-Man is the other big launch. And we kind of talked a little bit about that one. There's kind of like two visions for the Ultimate Universe. There's Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley as the writer and artist on Ultimate Spider-Man and and a, you know, a handful of other series. And then there's Mark Miller, who is uh who I like to call Mark Millar, but I 10% of my YouTube comments are people saying um no, this <laughs> this person's name is pronounced differently, and I think it's pronounced just Mark Miller based on hmm, one of those. Okay. But he is the other sort of visionary, I guess, who is going to uh, pave the way for Ultimate X-Men. He's going to be the writer alongside artist Brian Hitch on Ultimates. Yep. And he's also going to launch, uh, and, or not launch, but do a lot of work on Ultimate Fantastic Four. So those are kind of the two visions, and we'll we'll see the ways that they're different here. I think you'll see them pretty instinctively reading USM versus UX-Men. The biggest difference to me that stands out initially is Ultimate X-Men has to sort of take Marvel history and finagle it so that it works as sort of the, like, the X-Men whole instead of literally how do mutants get their beginnings. It's sort of taking the history of X-Men because X-Men doesn't come out of the box ready to go in the Marvel Universe the way Spider-Man does. Right, it's condensing 
a lot of like weird missteps. Forty years. Yeah, it's it's condensing yeah. all that and kind of t- like this is everything that becomes like canonical in the X Men, right? Like yes, and, yes, and turning it into like a, a very tight little package that also it then plays with right it does some like remixing and some like interesting stuff with how it introduces these characters mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel i think spider-man is a more faithful uh adaptation of spider-man or ultimate spider-man is a more faithful version of spider-man that just feels to yeah. me like a, a modernized like let's just do spider-man in high school and we're gonna do the extended adventures of spider-man in high school and like in it right. it will divert in some ways later on and it changes some things like mary jane being in school but Mm -hmm. this is like this is very different in a lot of big ways like wolverine comes in immediately right like it's not the original crew of angel iceman cyclops marvel girl well and i I think that's one of the things it does well though is saying what is big and important that er when people think of x-men what do they think of you know what and it condenses it into one story i think this was the first x-men i ever read thinking of it i just realized that but like i don't think i ever read any x-men stories before this so this was like the foundational context for because i never watched the show either and like, i like i watched i think the it show makes i think it makes a lot of sense in those terms it does it has totally an like, introduction yeah i mean there's very few things there are a few things in this that i like kind of thought were canon for x-men that we'll get into later because they're big ideas that come in later in the series that I thought were uh-huh. like, oh, that's, you know, that's what Jean Grey is, right? Like, there's one big difference with Jean Grey that they talk about. That... There's, a, there's a handful with Jean, I think. Yeah. But it in general, big picture, yeah. I think the way it... So, let's specify. It starts out, it's a big... It's very much taking, like, honestly, the X-Men animated series template in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Sure. The things that it, it does right off the bat is it says Sentinels are active and they are killing mutants right now. So the feared and hated part of mutant kind is in full force, right? Like the Sentinel threat. Opening are the scene, villains. Sentinel swoop down on like on what city like, streets and start like stepping on mutants and crunching them. Actually, there's there's yeah. a pretty silly panel that just says like it shows that he's stepping on someone, and the panel's just black, and it says the word crunch. And, and like that's a very so that's that's Miller's style. Yeah. Right. I, like, I actually kind of like that is what we're going to see. From it was literally that one panel that I was like, that's that's a little silly. But uh, no, but there's there's a, a a sort of goofiness to the violence or an, an over eagerness to have these sort of like big explodey moments, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. that he is a fan of. So he, Miller is coming off of. Whereas Brian Michael Bendis came into the scene, he'd written some indie comics, mostly crime stuff, and then he's kind of taken over Ultimate Spider-Man. Miller had written uh, a lot of stuff with Grant Morrison and and even by himself at DC. Like, he had written a Flash story. He had written some Swamp Thing at this point. Um, And I think probably the biggest thing he had done was following Warren Ellis's and Brian Hitch's authority um, as part of of, uh, Wildstorm. But so he's coming into this with a little bit more of a, a... pedigree i guess and definitely his attitude is like modernized as opposed to faithful you know which is yeah. what you described yep. right off the bat it's ultimate spider-man very faithful to stan and steve in very many ways while modernizing ultimate x-men puts the modernization first for sure and then like we said is bringing everything together the other things it brings together is we have magneto in the savage land that is where the brotherhood yeah, let's, of mutants let's talk about that. They I lost like evil that a lot, in that their like, name. So there's this thing where um, Charles Xavier and Magneto like developed the Savage Land and turned it into this yeah. little mutant paradise instead of it being some weird Antarctic thing. So Kazar is not 
anywhere to be seen. Which, no, no. Which I like, and it, it ties it into this idea that like uh, Magneto here is an environmentalist. Is like his his stated goal is that like humans are destructive and they're parasites on the earth, and like mm-hmm. he is trying to protect animals he even mentions he's a vegetarian at one point but also kind of mentions that maybe oh he, ate... oh, he mentioned something else there also, that's pretty yeah important. mentions that maybe he ate some human flesh he's like i haven't eaten flesh human or otherwise he teases years. it out there almost almost like he's trying to get called on it he's like i haven't tasted flesh human or otherwise in so, like he almost says it under his lay. breath yeah it's like wait you you had human flesh one time <laughs> you want to talk about that oh oh no 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 about? that's not important no 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 what? i can't believe yeah, you what are you talking about <laughs> did i say that yeah, uh, I mean, Magneto is fascinating here. He, like, he comes so out of the gate Magneto strong. is fascinating in the Ultimate Universe in total. Yes. Like, yes, and yes. that is one of the things that Miller and Cooper do, I think, really well here, is he becomes the big bad of the Ultimate Universe in this story right out of the gate. Yeah. He's the guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you were going to name who's the big bad of Marvel Earth 616, who would you name? It's hard. It depends on the story. Yeah, It depends sure. on the time of year, <laughs> you know? Magneto is the guy. For the first life cycle of the Ultimate Universe, and that all starts right here. Like, he is the mutant terrorist threat, as viewed through the lens of humanity, you know, that will continue to be a big deal. Um, And I think it's fascinating that, like, he's already got—he's already has his history with Professor X, and they already had their falling out. All these things that we haven't even gotten to in the My Marvelous Year Club yet, you know? Like, what's that all about? That stuff's already happened in issue number one. So we're launching into a scene where he's not just around and it's Uncanny X-Men number one by Stanley and Jack Kirby and they're just fighting the stranger. They're fighting a guy they all know. Right. And I mean, and they, they know they, they strongly know implied, if not almost specifically say, like, Charles Xavier is in the wheelchair because Magneto paralyzed him. Like, you, you see a shot. They, sh- they show him he's been uh, stabbed like, through the chest. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, you know, you can kind of put two and two together that a big piece of metal. <laughs> through his chest uh, through his spine <laughs> well i actually yeah. thought probably it was it was happened later in a story with a villain named lucifer was what i assumed yeah right exactly yes yeah god ridiculous. um so so that's all the big picture stuff i think that and then issue number one kind of kicks off with like a getting an x-men team together yeah in order yeah. to sort of you know professor x and jean gray is his is his i guess kind of mouthpiece although that understates her own agency um she's going around she she is clearly like who are the head student and like ambassador to the other students where cyclops instead of scott and cyclops is like team leader where it comes to like you know the military missions and stuff um i think let's see we can talk about each character cyclops is like pretty similar to the cyclops we know except maybe a little more hot-headed i'd say he's a little hot he's also 18 yeah so he's uh he's a little younger than than we see him in uncanny of all these characters is at the forefront in a way that they it's never really been before because like Stanley yeah that's kind of important Stanley wrote a teen and that meant that they were like you know check out my hip slaying daddy o and that like is as yeah, far right. as it ever went but like these teens are moody and they are horny and that is a lot of what you and get they are from skeptical them. of Professor X's authority. Oh, immediately Professor X like is already giving off super creepy vibes. Scott and him have this argument, and he. I love yeah. actually the way that uh, Kubert starts drawing this. It starts like draws these twinkly little uh, flutters around his head to like show that he's manipulating someone's mind. But like Charles Xavier like is like uh, Scott is like, what are you doing to my head? And Xavier's like, oh, I'm just releasing you know good hormones because you were gonna get angry and we were gonna say something you'd regret. Like off you go, yeah. like feel better. And you know he's already fine with uh, you know manipulating people to his own means. And this is definitely a less benevolent Charles Xavier 
than I, I would say we are familiar with. Um, he is, he, like you just said, he's openly tampering with Scott's mind and emotions uh, in a way that is more typically associated with villains, you know, and, th- sure. and that's going to be kind of a theme here as well. So I, I, I think getting the team together, let's just talk about who they are. Like you said, we got Scott, we got Jean Grey, who is also younger. Very important to note, she's 19. This is specified for very specific reasons. Not 17, she's 19. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, she wears a leather midriff kind of thing yeah, and uh, tight leather pants. And she is like confident and fun and... Yeah, she's way um, more like... She, I mean, the Marvel girl and... Jean Grey from she's cool, the mainline right? one. She's yeah, cool. yeah. She's she's much like more relaxed and kind of a like she's very charming. She's very charismatic. Like you see why she is the one going out to win people's minds. I mean, the first scene, one of the first scenes we see with her is her like bamboozling some small town sheriff to break Storm out of jail, and she does this fun yeah. little dance routine where she pulls out a block a blockbuster rental membership card, and then like yeah. convinces him it's her FBI ID and that he's. That she's actually some middle-aged, like, FBI agent. Um, but then, yeah, so she breaks Storm out, and Storm is a car thief, which I love. That's a really mm-hmm. good little tweak on the Storm we know, that, like, she's just kind of, like, a street criminal, right? Like, she's not yeah. a, a weird little, like, char- Dick- Dickensian popper from the streets of Egypt. She's, you know, right. she's, like, stealing convertibles in Atlanta or whatever. I also, yeah, I also don't, I don't know if it's specified, but I think she's American. No, like, I don't no, specifically she... someone calls her American. I can't remember who it is. Someone says that she's American and she gets mad and yells at them like, that's for calling me American. So, no, I guess not. Okay, I... so she's not. Because I actually think with Storm and Colossus, who's who's another one who's kind of caught up in crime that Jean goes and collects, um, the thing that they lose for me here their nas- as these kind nationality. of... Is their nationality? Yeah, yeah, their nationality. Yeah, yeah. Like that's such a big part of Giant Size X Men from nineteen. Yeah, Storm is not Storm. Whereas is like, here, they just talk like teens. Yeah, well, they. I mean, they kind <laughs> they of talk like Amer- American teens who have been raised in America. America right. That's the the big yeah. difference. Peter and Peter has this background where he's working for like the Russian mafia in order to like send money back home to his family. Yeah. In Russia, which like implies that like. 2000s era russia is some kind of hellhole or something <laughs> like i mean russia's got its problems but they, they talk about it like it's you know like war torn they, they need peter's money yeah, yeah sure um um yeah well that's kind of a a standard colossus thing is is doing stuff for the family i yeah i i think too like you also have storm is she's not the the african goddess no exactly all, all know, that canny. is she is learning to use her powers like she is not confident Although, that she will not kill people when she does that's true and but then in issue issue six, she is like hyper powered up in a way that I love. She learns fast. No, in issue six, <laughs> yeah. there's this amazing scene. So sentinels are descending on Washington D.C. We can get to that. Yeah. But she is using like ball lightning, which she researched on the internet and like found a recipe for. She says something like that, and she's mm-hmm. using ball lightning to like strike sentinels out of the sky. And someone's like, "Hey, you're learning quick." And she's like, "It's much easier to do when I'm." doing it from a distance and she's hiding in the lincoln memorial like a mile or two away just hitting sentinels with lightning like completely i love that shot they do the shot of her like completely isolated she's so far away from the battleground and she's just using her lightning power at this like huge distance yeah it's very cool and it's like yeah it just feels like oh that that's a smart fun way to use your powers that doesn't just feel like generic action scenes like which is this comic sings with that like so many great moments of uh of like really specific action that's happening. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. I think who else did, the, did we miss anybody Beast. in the X Men lineup? Beast is Beast. I love the way that he's drawn. Just this big chunky boy. Like he's all like he is so lumbering and so chunky. He's got the giant feet. It's a it's a little more original five Beast, right? He's not blue and hairy yep. yet. Yep, yep. Um, although kind of we'll get that and that the body types but yeah he just andy kubert is drawing such interesting like body types here i really like his art i want to talk about his art for a second because like Mm. it's like rich with detail without seeming like over cluttered it's always really easy to read at a glance it is like he's not drawing realistic at all right like beast and storm like their bodies and their skeletons are like so different as to be like they're different species right like he's not concerned with sticking to any kind of you know like realistic anatomy on people and i love that i love that in a comic book like that you are you know you're trying to do something outlandish and something a little exaggerated for effect because like well that's good with mutants too and it does (laughs) you know right exactly they should have different anatomy yeah and it does that cool thing that i like in some comics like chew does this i think i brought this up before but chew does this amazing thing where if you just silhouetted any character you could like tell them apart right like their silhouettes stand out and this has that same thing like i just read these for the first time in a decade and I could pick out any of these characters in silhouette, like no problem. Yes. So yeah, totally. Um, yeah, doing great work. Um, the other big difference is Wolverine is uh, shows up issue one, very end of issue one, mm-hmm. and Magneto sends him in. He is working for the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Actually, just the Brotherhood of Mutants. Yeah, he was actually hanging out in a swamp in the Savage Land. Oh, it's stabbing a <laughs> crocodile in the face. Like his claws are literally like <laughs> impaling a crocodile skull when we meet him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Insane. So he had nothing better to do except uh, go and assassinate. Charles Xavier and at Magneto's. If behalf. I was going to give any like strong story critique here, so he yeah he goes off. Got some notes. Got some notes for you, Mister Miller. He goes off to uh to assassinate Charles Xavier, and he tries to like join the team, etc. The his turn where he turns and joins the X Men is pretty mm-hmm. weak and feels a little rushed. And like he just kind oh, of super rushed. It, it is kind of super just rushed. like yeah, I decided I liked Xavier better, and that's kind of it. He, well, because he wants to get Jean Grey in bed. I mean, after he gets Jean Grey in bed, he tells her, he literally tells her in bed <laughs> that he, why he came there and that he, uh, you know, he's on their side now, which is another yeah, thing. So like, since that cat's out of the bag, uh, Wolverine, I guess, seduces Jean Grey. And uh, I, this, I remember this really skeeving me out when I read it initially. I think because I perceived Jean Grey as underage, they, uh, they do make a point of saying, you know, again, she's 19, it's still skeevy. I mean, it's, um, but it's, it's kind of like, uh, like it's kind of saying like, hey, here's this thing everyone wants, Gene and Wolverine to hook up, but I'm gonna make you feel a little weird about it. You know, uh, I didn't, I didn't get any like trying to make me feel weird about it. I, I don't know, like, I didn't, I didn't get any. Maybe it's just because I know it's like it just feels fast to me. Because I guess because it of the way fast, it plays out yeah. in 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 X Men, and that's what I'm talking about about condensing the timeline and, and yeah, the canon of X Men is like. Usually Wolverine has to work for this, and (laughs) within three issues, they're sleeping together, you know? Well, I mean, kind of, I almost buy it in the way that they're teenagers, and they're just horny, and they're making dumb choices, except- Is Wolverine a teenager? Except for the fact that Wolverine is not. So, like, that's, I mean, that's the problem, because it's like, I mean, they already mentioned that Wolverine was in the Gulf War, which at this point, I guess, was only, like, six years ago, so maybe it's not that crazy. But, like, it's that idea of, like, you know, a vampire, like, Twilight. You know, like, uh, should a vampire be yeah, sleeping I guess with a 17 like year old? Because, like, technically, he's not 17. He might look it and, like, I mean, even if yeah, Logan sure. looks 35, like, 35 year olds shouldn't sleep with 19 year olds. Sorry. Like, sorry for that hot take, but I'm pretty fine with saying that. Like, there's a. All our 35 year old listeners sleeping with 19 year olds 
You can write to us at mymarvelousyear@gmail.com, and I want you to specify why you're offended. Ugh, the only thing that I would give this a pass for in that regard is that they don't really draw, like, he doesn't write Wolverine to seem out of age with the rest of them. Like, you know, and, and seemed, weirdly, it's not little... over-sexualized in the way that you might expect. No, totally to not. I mean, the, the only thing that that surprising. leans into is that, like, the female outfits like their official x-men outfits are all like showing their stomachs which is like a little silly um and it says professor x designed them which is like i mean honestly that well, kind of makes actually, a little sense you know the detail here that they do toss into that is professor x designs them to make them invisible to sentinels well, that's totally because fine, they, they this is a their, very like, they're pelvis showing like <laughs> it's also very well, yeah somehow it makes them invisible but have... also you can have a bare midriff and still show it. it it's a very 2000s detail about like yeah costumes are dumb right that's old-fashioned like we're gonna oh yeah they don't like the their uh they don't like their like um code names they're like storm do i have to go by storm and beast is like does anyone else think beast is a derogatory <laughs> nickname well that's not that's un- that's fair oh yeah <laughs> totally. i like i like from. the idea that he didn't name himself beast that somebody else did and he had to live with it it's just yeah. like sue storm yeah. calling ben Grimm the thing <laughs> um right there totally. the, the other thing i wanted to mention with the seduction of Jean gray is there's a scene between her and wolverine where wolverine is like you know something like so you want me to stay and she's like i don't know wolverine i don't know if she calls him logan and he's like i she, she says something like i don't trust you and then he's like so then why are you so attracted to me and then it cuts to her going I hard make out i don't know and it's our first thing that we've read in this comp and it's the first time in this club that we've seen the female character lip bite which is the most overused like oh isn't like she's sexy or in, she's like turned on overused where in comics like female comics that is like the guy go-to thing for like i want to draw a sexy woman who's like being sexy and sensual and she's gonna like either have like one finger in her mouth or she's gonna be like chewing yeah. on her bottom lip sensually and it's just like we're gonna see this so many times i really like it when when the girl is like biting her lip you know like she's eating something like chili and like accidentally bites her lip Ow! A, a really like <laughs> that that one gets me every time <laughs> <laughs> your, your wife's just like, ow, Jesus, why are you why are you taking off your pants? <laughs> I'm in the bedroom. I've already run to the bedroom. I'm throwing clothes at the wall. <laughs> and she's like, that really hurt. What are you doing? Um, although, so after that panel of Jean Grey saying, like, I don't know why I'm attracted to you, it cuts to the most passionate, like, uh, Gone with the Wind style kiss that I gasped out loud. Because it, yeah, here's the romance novel you were looking it for. It cuts to right, like right Jean Grey, like Wolverine swoops her, and she is just like dangling six inches from the ground, like he is holding her yeah. down, and just like, I mean, it's it's kind of hot, but it's also kind of like, what happened, Jean? Like you fell over? Like it, it kind of looks like he caught her mid faint. Um, yeah, and Cyclops is watching from the window. Yeah, so that's so, that's another you know, thing. Is this that's happening? This comic is really confident in wanting to move like characters around ideologically. Like, Cyclops gets really upset about a mission that they went on that Beast got hurt. And he's just like... Well, they thought he died. Yeah, right. You know. I quit, and I'm going to go join Magneto. And he, like, goes... And then, issue five, he's on Magneto's team, and he's running missions with the Brotherhood of Mutants. Like... You know, 
I love the speed this moves with. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it is it like is there a, is that there is that moment of feeling like I think I missed something <laughs> or like, wow, they, they're jumping the gun here. You know, kind of said it with the Wolverine gene thing. But actually, in reality, I kind of love it moves that. Speed a, I mean, it, because it is kind of one of these things. Like, it keeps you on your toes. You don't want to read it a million times and dig too much into it. Like he's he's not doing groundbreaking X-Men stories here, right? Like this is not House oh, no, of X, not Powers of X, right? Like he is doing like, I want to Although there are, there are touch points oh the the mutant language thing right yeah yeah, yeah magneto's developing like, a mutant yeah, language yeah, yeah. they've got their own paradise down in the savage land yeah, like yeah. there are there are things you could say here and be like oh, this is kind of influential yeah yeah um yeah but i think like it's very confident it's moving along and it's it is trying to just retell stories and it's going to be doing that for most of its run i think like if i've read most of this and i think i have like it's going to be taking classic stories and just trying to remix them instead of like doing you know really new breaking new ground uh unlike yeah like ultimates which i think does like a lot of like new ground breaking uh, and i think it does some great stuff but it, it like it is a really cool i think this series is a really cool crash course in like hey do you want to know about everything that's important about x-men like you'll get a taste of yeah. every little thing you're gonna get six issues of what make makes magneto good you're gonna get six issues of the hellfire club you're gonna get six issues of the phoenix twins they're what are they called fenry twins something like that <laughs> fenris uh, uh you know i'm blanking on them but they're the worst so I, I yeah i remember that. them but, the first but time yes I read you're this, right thinking it, that, it's like, very much boring. like yeah. crash course x-men history um and and like i said like i don't think these comics are amazing i i like ultimate spider-man a lot more than i wind up liking ultimate x-men oh interesting but I, I do think I, this opening arc is a good introduction yeah. to the franchise. It moves at a good speed. I think Miller, he takes a lot of flack now for a number I mean, of, like he's had a ton of your, success. Your like, least favorite that. comic of all time on your best comics of all time list, number like 450 in an honorary position. Was wanted, yes. Oh, was oh did Marvel knock it off? Marvel knocked it out of the worst okay, comic but, of all time spot, but, he has, but it was he wanted for like a good long time. least favorite comic for decades. So he, he can write some very cynical um kind of like shocking for shock's sake sure yeah very juvenile work he can and some of it has been extremely successful like he so miller is you know he's the the writer behind kick-ass he's the writer behind wanted he's the writer behind um oh, what's the big one now the kingsman right like these like yeah, big movie well, franchises that are all like he's had a, he's a very successful comic book writer and creator some of his stuff i quite enjoyed at the time, and I don't know that I would now, like Old Man Logan, for example. I'd have to go back to it, and eventually we will in my Marvelous Year. Going back to his early Ultimate stuff, some of the dialogue is a little cringy. It's not quite offensive, I don't think, but some of it's like on the verge of just being sort of crude in a way that I don't find enjoyable, I guess. In is this? The, is the way I ultimately articulate it? Yeah, some I of didn't... it. It's not like yeah. hard it's not like it's like, oh, he's using bad language or something. It's just like, I don't know, sensibilities are kind of off in terms of, like, who am I rooting for here? I, he's got a very, like, cynical kind of, you know, there's not there's not really, like, there aren't really characters that are easy to root for. Huh. I, I mean, Magneto was pretty easy to root for because, you know, there's that one. I think he likes Magneto a lot more than he likes anyone else. Well, because, I mean, there's that one scene where Magneto is on the front lawn of the White House with a nude George Bush. On his knee, <laughs> George W. Bush. George it is, W. It Bush. is 100% the actual George W. Bush. Yeah, yes. they they refer to like the Texan. They show him by face, he, having licked Magneto's boots clean while Magneto holds a burning American flag in his left hand. Which like he is a, a he bold, is a power. It's a bold terrorist. statement. Um, yeah, no, you're right. Magneto yeah, definitely right. gets like 
You know, I mean, he kind of well, he also Magneto he, to be he like leans the into that thing of like voice here. Well, he justifies it. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. he's saying here are the reasons he's doing this, and in the X Men actually, and I think kind of the most interesting twist in this whole thing is the one plot they go and fight the Brotherhood over is Magneto kidnaps the president's daughter, and he I says, you know, we're going to hold the this. That's the one with the president's yeah, yeah. daughter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's no you. Oh, you know her. Okay, that's the one. And he's holding her captive in order to, as a deterrent for the Americans using Sentinels to kill mutants. He feels very justified in doing this. And the X Men are going to rescue the daughter in the name of Professor X's dream. But it's also like uh, we are opening up the possibility of Sentinels attacking mutants. You yeah. know, yeah, it's yeah. it's a genuinely complicated like political issue in this world where mutants exist and they have machines of of murder for them i mean i don't think it's having like complex conversations about it but it's also not totally reductive like it's no it's making the character's choices understandable um Mm -hmm. i just want to point out I, i pulled this up a little bit ago the final page of wanted the last issue of wanted is one of the best pages of comics ever it's this oh how dare you really hard to why, look why at why would you guy. offend me in the middle of this unrelated i know it's podcast. so funny uh <laughs> it's this guy looking guy who looks like eminem bleach blonde hair two gold hoop earrings yeah. looking straight into yeah. the camera screaming and the caption box says this is my face while i'm you in the and then the end that's the last page of wanted i feel like that is like the sum up of everything all the worst impulses of Mark Millar. Yes, is, is that page? Yes. It's- can you guess why I didn't like Wanted? Can you <laughs> can you guess? Because um, well, yeah. you didn't like so, uh, you didn't like that guy f- in the. Ass. <laughs> <laughs> it was not appreciated. <laughs> I was not ready for that. Uh, okay, so Ultimate X Men one through That's six. That's interesting. Um, you, so you you like the first six issues of spider-man more than this oh just the first specifically no actually probably not oh, okay uh, that's what i thought you were saying and i was a little surprised because i think i think this is oddly a, enough yeah ultimate spider-man takes a minute to become its own thing like you i know, liked it, that but it, it's I a little a lot of problems with that i don't really have any problems with this like i don't think this is well it's it's spider-man's a little bit too much like uh it's a little too reverent oddly enough of the at least in the early going yeah sure, of like sure of just kind of redoing things, whereas Ultimate X-Men, I feel like, because the franchise needs it. You know, the franchise demands that you sum up we the, the fans history. demand. We demand Mr. Millar. <laughs> you know, but basically they have to put together X-Men the movie, number one. Yeah. And I think they do a really good job. I don't think the series stays as interesting for as long as Ultimate Spider-Man yeah, does. Okay. I'm not sure exactly when that distinct yeah, well, when that we'll break see. happens yeah. for me. Um, but there's some there's some well one of the thing is um, Ultimate X Men gets different writers right like Mark Millar is not st- no Ma- Miller's on this for a I mean, bit Brian K Vaughn He's on this shows for a up chunk. on this at some point yeah Brian right? K Vaughn's gonna show up uh, relatively soon and that's gonna be kind of fascinating oh is that because well. I mean so, Gary uh, Gary not relatively soon was a stretch okay. uh, Gary wanted but, to show you know, up on that episode in the 40s yeah okay I think so but we've got Miller on this I bouncing around at a minimum there's also uh, we included in the list here. There's that one half issue, which was a, a Wizard Magazine well, special. The, did you read this one? I did. So that leans it leans into um, the plot we didn't talk about, which is that Magneto is definitely Scarlet Witch's and Quicksilver's dad here. Right? It's not this kind yeah, of they, wishy-washy. They're back on the Brotherhood, right? Which I liked, and this is why I always thought that that was their parentage, like solidly. 
Um, but he, you didn't know about the cow. I did. <laughs> he didn't know about the cow. <laughs> uh, yeah. But Magneto is like kind of abusive to Quicksilver, and we don't really get why. I don't exactly. <laughs> you, can, you can lose the kind of. <laughs> he's a he's a huge. Yes, you're right. No, he is explicitly abusive to Quicksilver. I. But like in one of the best moments here is that he's walking along with Cyclops, like talking about his vision and why he does what he does. And he's like talking about <laughs> Cyclops. He's like kind of putting Cyclops under his wing and like grooming him. Yeah. And he says, yeah. tonight when, you know, when we're all together, when Quicksilver is with us, will you call me dad once in front of him? Yeah. And it's like inc- just this. Right like, after level. he tells him that uh, his daughter's about to seduce him. Right. Yes. You he's know. like, I, ha- I have it on good authority that my daughter will seduce you after her poetry reading. Just like how. Where did you hear that? Ugh. Do you have any idea how long I've waited for a dad to tell me that? <laughs> ugh, ugh. Um, yeah, yeah, I really like this. So we're going to jump back in. I think I think that's all the thoughts I have on X-Men. Um, well, hang on. Oh, I, oh, I did want to say about, that, about the one half issue. Cause I, I, oh, is no. it in Marvel Unlimited? I didn't it see is. it. No, it's its own separate thing. It's like its own title. Oh, which, you know what? Okay, that is thank something, you for calling that out. That's something that... Uh, DC Universe really has a one-up on uh, Marvel Unlimited in is that they put all the like issue zeros in the issue halves and stuff like right in with the yeah, series. They don't separate right. it out. Where the where they should be. Right. Well, so that that abusiveness that Magneto does leads to the end of this thing, which is a sequence I really like, which is that Magneto is like completely dominating the X Men and about to kill Charles mm-hmm. Xavier, and Quicksilver runs up and snatches his helmet off, which is protecting him. And this is after Cyclops kind of telling them like, listen. Be a man. Be your own person. Yep. In the case of, of Wanda, like, your dad's a jerk. Help us out. Like, you know this to be wrong. Because Magneto's plot, I don't know if we even said, he has, they sent a bunch of Sentinels to blow up the Savage Land and the Mutants. Magneto says, you sent a bunch of metal robots, you lunatics. How they stupid. being Americans. Yeah. How he takes all the Sentinels be? back to destroy America. He rewires right? them all. So at this like point, lots of innocent too. people are going to die. Yeah. Yeah, so Quicksilver, and, like, And Quicksilver him, does yeah. a thing where he does super run, he takes off Magneto's helmet, and this allows Professor X to finally subdue Magneto, good... who has been stabbed by Wolverine. Yeah, like, sure, he's fine. So that's fine. That's fine. He's good. The, yeah, that, that's a great panel though, because uh, Magneto has been portrayed through this whole comic, all like six issues of this, as this like towering, imposing like man that is just like holds people's attention, right? Like he's very, very like larger than life figure. And he gets... He's also, like, almost all-powerful. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. In a way that still makes... It's just magnets, which is at least nice, right? Like, he's not just, like, also, you know... just magnets. Well, it's not like, I use my magnet power to pull down the rays of the sun to zap you, you know, all the, like, nonsense. That's true. He's not doing the weird science stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's just using metal. Yet. Um, But we get this panel of him looking, like, boyish, like, and scared. Because he realizes that, like, he's completely vulnerable to Charles Xavier. And it's great. Like, right. he draws him as this, like, he looks young man with these, like, big blue eyes. And he just looks very, very fragile and vulnerable. And it's great. That that moment was, like, yeah. my favorite in this. Um, yeah. And then Charles so Xavier follows up on post-captured Magneto. And it's the it's an X-Men verse Quicksilver and Wanda on the run story. Yeah. Um, Quicksilver and Wanda are, like contemplating freeing Magneto still here? No. Because despite their sort of turn... That's not it. They are still... uh, They still love their dad. No, that's not what happens. Magneto... That's how I read this, is kids will always love their dads. God, you really skipped this What did you read? (laughs) Uh, No, because Charles Xavier takes all the Sentinels and mushes them up to a big ball with Magneto in the center, seemingly killing him. Like, this story ends Mm -hmm. with Magneto dead, and Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are recovering his body from a military truck. And then they finally, they stop this convoy, they 
burst the truck open and inside is Magneto's helmet, not his body. And they don't know what happened to his body, which is a little hint that like Magneto is not dead and gone. He's not in the truck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. This issue ends with kind of a thing. Oh, that's yeah, gonna be a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, where Quicksilver and Wanda they get away from the X Men, and Quicksilver like Wanda's basically like, "Why are you defending her father? You know, he was a jerk." And Quicksilver's kind of like he's kind of backtracking here a little bit. Yeah, he's he says, regressing. You know, he's my dad, he's and then he says, "I I think he says I love him," and then he grabs Wanda's arm and says, "And I love you." And we've gotten little romantic tension teases, honestly, just in the body language, but this is like. The first of several very heavy-handed, um, I think the twins want to be together in that Jamie and Cersei way thing that the Ultimate Universe is going to lean into. Uh, well, Scarlet Witch doesn't really, not, she like runs off immediately. Well, she runs away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that, I mean, that's interesting. I don't know. That's a choice, I guess. So let's end it on uh, Ultimate Incest. Yeah, note. sure. It's like, uh, right? but I mean, if you... Uh... God, never mind. It's a joke. Did you ever hear? <laughs> I don't know what analogy you're going to no, make. No, no, did you ever see? It's going to be weird. There was some guy on like a a newscast or something. I can't remember. He he said it in a really inappropriate setting, but he made some joke. It was like a sports broadcast. Someone mentioned something about incest porn, and he's like, well, it's just porn if you mute it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to try to make a, a similar joke. With like, Good grief. Yeah, if you uh, if you just don't read the caption boxes, it's just mutants kissing. But that didn't it didn't work the same. Not uh, you know the context does help there. Yeah. All right, everybody, thank you for listening to my ultimate let me, year. Let me episode rattle off two. What we're we're gonna read for episode three. Um, next time on my ultimate year, Ultimate Spider Man eight through thirteen, Ultimate X Men seven through fourteen, and Ultimate Marvel Team Up ten through sixteen. We're skipping nine boom, because boom, nine boom. actually fits in story wise, like much later. I can't remember. Um, it has to come after. Yeah, Fantastic episode six. Four. We're going to jump it's back and read one. nine for some reason. I don't actually even really know why, but there's a reason that we skip it. Hint it has to do with the Fantastic Four. Thanks, everybody, for listening. My Ultimate Year is a My Marvelous Year production. If you are interested in uh, checking out more about the club, you can go on over to MyMarvelousYear.com um, or you can go to Patreon.com slash MyMarvelousYear, which is what I meant to say. Music for the show is by... By Divine Right. Off their album, Sweet Confusion. Thanks, Divine Right. You can find their tunes on Spotify or Bandcamp. And I'm Dave. You can find more of my stuff at ComicBookCurl.com. That's Zach. You can find more hey. of his stuff at... My Marvelous Year on social media. And in the meantime, oh, we, have a we don't Do we have an ultimate have a sign, sign off. off. Have an ultimate, have an ultimate day, pals. That's my new sign off. I'm okay. I'm, I'm rolling with it. Have an ultimate day, pals. We'll see you next time. Bye. I got issues. I got issues.